Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game podcast is Carrie Kenny Silver. She is one of my longtime favorite comedic actors. She has been on tons of different things. Her IMDb is just tremendous. Some of my favorites are obviously MTV's The State, where I first started seeing you. Uh, Role Models, which is one of my favorite movies. Bob's Burger, Viva Variety, Wanderlust, Children's Hospital, Wet Hot American Summer, VH. Yes, uh, you're on Party Down. Of course, Reno 911 is one of your more well-known roles, and um, I'm actually in the middle of watching Miracle Workers, which I think is original and outstanding, which you're on as well. So thank you so much for all the entertainment you've given me, and thank you so much for giving me your time today and being so generous to come talk to me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and for for giving that very eloquent um, uh, description of my IMDb. <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes I hear my IMDb, I'm like, was, wait, was I in that? Um, so thank you for that. You're welcome. And I mean, I, I barely scratched the surface on the stuff that's actually on there. It's amazing. The, all you guys from the state, when I look back at all the different things you've been a part of in some way, whether it's writing, directing, voiceovers, acting, it's, it's really impressive. I, I was telling, um, I, I interviewed Joe Luchulio as well, and I was saying the uh, degrees of Kevin Bacon should be changed to the degrees of the state because <laughs> everybody is like a movie or a show or something connected to one of you guys. It's really impressive. We, we've all been very fortunate and uh, it is kind of amazing when you think that this group of 11 ragtag weirdos, everybody sort of fell up. I don't know how that happened. So um, we're just counting our blessings every day. That's outstanding. I did want to hear a little bit about how you got into show business. I know you had some, some family that was involved in it, which I definitely like to talk about, but how did you start to get the bug that you wanted to be in entertainment? Well, comedy was always a huge part of my life growing up. My dad is uh, the funniest person I know. Um, he is a character voice. It's just who he is for a job and in life. He's, he's larger than life. And um, it's infectious, that kind of energy, somebody that can, can make a room, uh, totally change the tone of a room and lighten the tone of a room. It's, it's um something that was I always envied and I looked up to, but I was a very shy kid. Um, and so I found that my way in in the world was sort of character voices and, and you know, sarcasm and those kind of things. Um, so I, uh, I just aspired to really be like my dad and to, to, to have that kind of energy and, and people look forward to, to what you were going to bring to to a room. So, um, I was never, you know, a, 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 ch a, a girl growing up in the seventies. I was never, uh, told luckily, like, you know, keep it down, be quiet. Um, you're a girl, you know, girls don't act that way or, you know, walk around the house with their underwear on their head, you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, sound like, like the crypt keeper or whatever whatever bit I was cooking up that week, um, I was encouraged. So um, it was just natural. And I honestly don't ever remember 
not knowing what I wanted to do. I always, always knew it was never a question. And I've, I've been very blessed to be able to make a living out of this nonsense. I think that that's incredible that you knew at such a young age. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm about to turn 40 and I'm still not really sure what I want to do. It's such a crazy thing. But knowing that young and having that support, I think is amazing because I, I have talked to people that they find something they want to do when they're young and they have all this ambition and all this hope. And then they have their parents or their siblings who make them feel like it's not a possibility. Hey, give up on that dream, go get a job. But uh, it sounds like you were encouraged from a very young age, which to me, I, I love watching my friends do that now with their kids as they're having them and just being there for whatever you want to do and supporting it. Um, so that's really cool. How much do you think that played a role in you being successful today that you had that support from your family growing up? Everything, confidence. You know, I, I mean, I feel that way. However, if you look at, I feel like about half the state, their parents said, you know, wait, you're going to NYU for acting, you know, and then they've got in a comedy group, which is even more like, now what are you doing? You're wasting, you know, the, the $600,000 a year it costs to go to this university. But um, I think we got, we had success really early, you know, right out of college. The day we graduated NYU, we signed our contract with with MTV to do our own show. I mean, that just doesn't happen. You know, that, that was such a fluke. So, um, I, I think a lot of it for me comes from, from my parents' support. Absolutely. Because I came out of the gate with confidence, uh, in my, in my professional career and university. Um, and then, then a lot of it, I think comes from the confidence of, you know, my 10 brothers, the state, because you know, if I had opened my mouth in, in that first, you know, new group meeting, we were called the new group uh, when we were at NYU. If I had opened my mouth and, and people went, yeah, that's not funny. That's not going to work. Um, then I don't think I would have, you know, pro propelled myself, you know, into um, this career with, with the confidence that I have. But I think that, um, you know, having my family and then having all the guys, you know, sort of co-sign my my shenanigans um has has uh has given me a, a a pretty nice career that i'm really really grateful for it sounds like it that's one thing i've definitely noticed about you hearing you speak and hearing you in interviews and watching youtube clips is you always sound very grateful and happy with what you're doing and where you are which i think is awesome it's it's just a great thing that sometimes i feel like you don't really hear that and I always hear a lot of appreciation in your tone and your voice. You know, part of it's terror, Nick, not going to lie. Um, but I think, I think you do have to all, you know, and when I go to those places of, um, okay, what's next? Well, this, this person hasn't called. This isn't going to, is this going to happen? This project, is this going to happen? I feel like I always have to rein it in and go right back to that place of gratitude. And then generally when I sink back into gratitude, it's things start, you know, start opening up and showing up again. So. Um, you know, it's just, it's just in life, a better, a better way to be. I'll tell you, it's not my, uh, my reset button is not set to gratitude. It's worked for me to get to that place. And it's, and it's that way in my daily life as well. Especially I find myself walking around my house as we all are, um, just sort of like picking up empty dishes and it's groundhog day. And you know, did I change the sheets yesterday or was it three weeks ago? Is it Christmas tomorrow? I don't know what's happening. Um, this, this, you know, strange uh, quarantine world that we're living in is 
so I find myself saying like, well, this end table that's been sitting here for the last 10 years is no good. What do we, I need now I need it. Well, if I need a new end table, we need a new rug. Well, how I now I have to redo the drink. And then I have to sort of like do the same thing I do with my brain and my career, which is like, okay, stop. It's going to be, everything's okay. Go back into gratitude. Hey, you have a house, you have, you know, food, you have this. And then once I sink back into gratitude, I feel every muscle sort of relax for a minute. And then I go back into hating the end table again. You know, I was, I was going to go down a, a direction we were talking about, but I, I am going to wave off of it right now because to me, this is the stuff that I love talking about because I feel like when somebody's, especially I, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and people that just do things differently, things that have a lot of rejection and it's just the road less traveled, I guess, so to speak. But I think people don't understand how much of that mentality goes into it of the constant, I'm not going to get this deal. I'm not going to get this job. I'm not going to get this loan. And having to every day, train yourself to, to switch that off and not downward spiral. I mean, every day, like I, I still get anxiety if I get a text from somebody and I'm like, oh, I'm canceling the deal. And then my partner will be like, have they ever done that? No, no, never. She's like, so why is that your first? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I have to, you know, and kind of go back because it, it does, it drains you. And, and that, that to me has been a very daily practice every day. I have to kind of set myself on that tone. And it's like you said, when I face it, and I slow it down and I, I put some gratitude on, okay, if this doesn't happen, it's okay. Cause I still have all these good things going on. Then those things start to fall into place. Have, have you, I mean, obviously you haven't always been like that, but what are some things that help push you down that road to start to understand that that was something necessary to you being in a place that you could find success and be peaceful? You know, someone once said to me, and I don't remember who it was, but it, it was probably my mom who was sort of, she passed a few years ago and she was kind of the opposite of my dad in many ways. Um, she was a, you know, incredible woman, but she didn't have that kind of like comedy power. She was a quiet force in my life, a beautiful, strong, quiet force. But um, I don't know if she was the one who said it to me first, but I know that she had said to me the sentiment, uh, you're making a movie in your head again. You're making a movie in your head. So when I would start to think like, okay, um, this person hasn't called. So if this project doesn't happen, then that project's definitely not going to happen. And if that project doesn't happen, then we're going to have to sell the house. And we're going to have to sell the house. And we're going to sell the house. Boom. And then the phone rings and it's a different project. And you're now you're on a new tangent of, you know, of terror. Oh, great. Now I have to go to work. What am I, how am I going to go to work? I've got to take care of my son. Um, <laughs> So I try, I, I still, it's work for me, but when something comes up, when I feel that pang of, oh no, I'm not going to get what I need in life, whatever that is at that moment, career-wise, family-wise, whatever-wise, I think of that phrase, you're making a movie in your head. Don't make a movie in your head. Because in my head, this doesn't happen, then that's not going to happen, then that's not going to happen, then this is not going to happen. And guess what? I'm a terrible terrible screenwriter. So I have never once written the movie in my head that actually happened in real life. The actual movie is going to be far less surprising that that ends up happening, um, good or bad. But uh, chances are, I, I'm never going to predict that movie correctly. So I try and I try and rein it in and catch myself 
doing that because really nothing good ever comes out of it. I don't think I don't figure it out at four in the morning when I can't sleep and I'm panicking about it. I don't ever go, aha, that's the thing that's going to fix this. It never does. So just trying to come back into the moment, uh, you know, maybe adds another six months onto my life at the end. <laughs> we'll see. You sound exactly like me. I think it's hysterical, but I mean, it's, it's exhausting, but I think it's just part of, you know, all of us. And does it help with you having a, a father who's in the same industry and a husband who's in the same industry to help talk you off that ledge when they see you doing that a little bit? Or is that mostly internalized on your part? Oh, I definitely reach, I definitely need their help. And my husband is a, is a incredible support and he's such a calm, uh, calm soothing you know voice for me it's he he you know and he kind of also you know i see him kind of giggling like here she goes again uh so i think i'm i feel like i'm better at reining it back in quicker um the older i get so by the time i'm 107 i should <laughs> be pretty stable nick yeah you know i i think that that's well said too i i feel like i still have the same tendencies in that I had 10 years ago. I'm just, like you said, I, I address them faster and I'm able to put out those fires a little bit quicker and not let them get so out of control. But I, I don't know if it ever goes away, you know? So again, I've heard multiple people from your show say surrounding yourself with good people has helped with all that. It sounds like that's what you're doing on personal and professional level. I have. I've been so blessed to have the, the family that I do moving through this career. I mean, I look at some people most people don't travel through their career with a pack of people that are like family to them. I mean, even when I go off and do other projects, most people on that project know the guys. So it's like, I'm always, you know, close, close to them. And, and, um, I'm so incredibly grateful for that because I, you know, I, while I do have, you know, some, self-confidence about my talent it, it doesn't hurt to have a, a group you know always behind you sort of knowing what you're capable of to push you further and to support you but I wanted to say something to before what you were talking about the sort of you know in this career the 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 fear is is real like you know everyone has the fear right now about career uh, with what's going on in the world but it it isn't the kind of job where you sort of work your way up, you know, and chances are you're going to get that next tier. You know, it doesn't work that way. The truth is you really could do the greatest thing of your life and then never work again. It just, it just happens like that in this business sometimes. Um, certainly as you age, uh, you know, different things happen. So it, it's, uh, but on top of that and on top of the regular things that, that everyone goes through in their job insecurities. On top of that, when I'm going to get a job, that next job, um, I have to walk into a room and, you know, act like a lunatic. You know, my job is to walk into a room and pretend to be, you know, whatever that is that you need me to be that day. And, it's, uh, you know, imagine that your next job uh, rejection comes while you're standing in a room, you know, dressed like a hooker, and you know that you have to leave that room and walk into a room filled with 
other women that you know also dressed like hookers? Like, how are the kids? Good. How are your kids? Good. Headed to soccer. You know, and then, you know, add that to the level of, of stress of, of job hunting. Um, it can be humiliating, but there is something to it that is also a drive. That fear is also a drive. It's an adrenaline for sure. There's, there's adrenaline attached to it and that helps propel me forward as well. That's great. I, I didn't even think about that angle of it, that you're constantly coming face to face with the same people at the different places and things should be popping up while you're doing one thing and it takes you off track. And it's probably very hard to keep your, your head focused on the task at hand when you have all these other things jumbling around. Well, also, you know, one thing that served me very well, it has served me very well in my career is I don't see other women as my competition uh, when it comes to getting a part. I truly believe there is enough for everyone. And now we're finally opening up the world of casting to actually start to include everyone, which is about damn time. But I, but I do, I don't sit in, in waiting rooms of auditions, looking around at other women thinking, oh, is she going to get it? Am I going to, I, I, I really truly, tr you know, I, I have insecurities about myself. Am I good enough for this part? But I don't look at people as competition. And I think that helps a little, you know, take a little of the edge off of the, of the, you know, already absolutely insane, you know, way of, 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 uh, having to, you know, sing for your supper, so to speak. But, you know, you also have to realize when, when in acting, you, you are going for a new job constantly. It's very rare that you get on a TV show and you're just working for 10 years. You know, I've been really lucky to have several series that have lasted, but it's not, common and so you're often going on auditions every day every other day so imagine having to for the rest of your career constantly be hunting for that next job as opposed to landing for several years and then landing for some several years it's a bizarre bizarre business i love the parallels though that's that's why i really enjoy talking to people that do what you do and entrepreneurial type people because it's that same mentality on like a daily basis when we're dealing with investments you know, you land a deal, but who knows when the next one's going to come. And sometimes you get in your head of like, well, what if I just had a nine to five? Why am I doing this anyway? And then something falls through, but then you get one and you're like, oh, this is totally worth it. Like, I'm going to do this again. For, it's like the roller coaster. You're scared when you're getting on there. And then when you go off, you're going, I want to go again. I want to go again. So, I mean, how do you, how do you keep yourself positive and motivated while you're waiting for that next gig to hit? Um, the I don't always do it correctly, but the one thing that I try to do is to focus on whatever's right in front of me. So, you know, I remember my mom saying about, about, uh, you know, there was something that I was sure was going to happen. I got so close. It didn't happen. And my mom said, what if the job you're supposed to have, you have, you don't even know about yet. And what you're supposed to be doing right now is focusing on this issue with your son that he's having right now. And it was like, oh, okay. So I sort of switched my energy into 100% what he was dealing with at that moment. It was like, of course, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And so I, I think it's more about like switching, switching the energy at that moment. It's what I try to do. It's not <laughs> always what I'm capable of. But I think a little bit of that fear 
that uh, insecurity is a good thing. I think it's I think it's part of the drive. I think it's part of the excitement. It's part of the game. It's part of the A game, Nick. Yeah, there you go. Come on. Come on, <laughs> no, you know, it's it's funny. My my friends who are uh, professional fighters and the guys that I do jiu-jitsu with, they're you hear the same thing that the ones that go to the cage or they're fighting or they go in a box and they get their butts kicked, they always come back afterwards and they say, you know, I knew it wasn't gonna be a good night for me because I wasn't nervous, I wasn't scared. And I feel yes. like the second you get too confident or you just don't have that. Like that, that's what keeps that, that heightened sense of bringing your best. And, you know, I, you know, like you said, the, the adrenaline and keeping it exciting. A couple of my friends that are in decent bands, like they're, they're pretty big in every show. They're still thinking, what if this is the last show? And the ones that I know that have the opposite of like, this will be here forever. Girls are always going to love us. People are, they're gone. You know, so I, also, I, I just think on top of that, how that sounds like, like, living death to me the idea of there is no thrill in this anymore then what the hell are we doing you know i i can't that terrifies me imagine getting that big thing this happening and then feeling empty on top of it um that is scarier to me i think than not working so um yeah so a little bit of it is is good on a side note um i love ufc Love I did not know that. I do. My husband is a huge fan, and um, and I love it. And when I we were at some Comedy Central party, and I met Dana White, and he invited us, so we went to a couple of um, of fights and got to sit with him. And one one of the times we went, I was eight months pregnant, sitting ringside <laughs> UFC, like a classy, classy broad. <laughs> That's really cool. I didn't know that. Uh, you know, I've had a bunch of UFC fighters on my on my show, and I, I trained with a bunch of them. My the the guy I got my black belt in jujitsu from is Matt Serra, who actually has a show with Dana White. Dana White looking for a fight on um, yeah. on YouTube now. So I've I've been a huge fan of her for years, and I, I love again. You know, the same similarities I find between anybody that's doing this those type of things that nothing's guaranteed, and you take rejection, and you got to work your butt off for it, and you know, every day you're like you said, you're fighting for your supper. Agreed. But the difference is we're not getting, or I'm not getting punched in the face while I did. If you added that level to it, even like, <laughs> even like if someone was throwing like erasers at me, I, I would crumble. So hats off to those people. But then again, you know, if they had to get in the ring and like tell a joke and really make the audience laugh and then get punched. So I don't know, I guess it's uh, six to one half dozen or the other. So it's funny that you brought up comedy. I did hear you say that that's something that you wanted to try is stand-up comedy. And Matt Sarah did a, on one of those shows, they actually had to go to the, the comedy store in LA. And part of the thing, the challenge was that they had to do stand-up. And I've seen, you have, he, he did great with it, but you see the guys that are like, no, no, no. I'd much rather go get punched in the face on pay-per-view yeah. than go do another four-minute stand-up in front of strangers. So I, you know, it's that strange comfort level with it, but I, most of them, most people are scared to do what you do. The public, you know, speaking in public is, you know. Well, I, I, yes, I have not done stand-up. I have done sort of like stand-up shows, but in character, as a character. The idea of standing up, doing stand-up as a, as myself terrifies me. Even when I was in my band years ago, I sort of, put on a persona a little bit because the idea of just being up there as me was terrifying. 
I mean, it's why I became an actress in the first place, I think, because I get to not be myself and jump into somebody else's body uh, for a while. So I, I uh, it's, it's terrifying to me. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe someday. <laughs> I'm going to wait till my 70th birthday. <laughs> do you, uh, do you have any favorite UFC fighters? No, I, you know, I, now I'm totally just a dabbler. Like my husband will have it on and I'll peek in, but it's funny. I was just looking through, uh, with all of my free time, I was organizing old photos. And just last night I came across some pictures with Chuck Liddell and Dana and, um, we, I looked like a baby. <laughs> That's really cool. So your your dad, I didn't know until recently that he actually, uh, he was Lionel on Thundercatch, which was like my favorite cartoon growing up. He was the voice of Count Carla, the, the Cocoa Puffs bird. He's been on a bunch of other stuff. Um, so did you, did you grow up with just like free cereal every, every day? It's funny. That's everyone's question. No, we <laughs> never got a single free box of cereal. Um, but I did eat it a lot. and. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I think that thing of like free stuff, I think that's like, I don't know. I don't know if that really happens because it certainly didn't happen for us, but my dad is still the Cocoa Puffs bird. Oh, that's And really cool. uh, yeah. And um, he's the Skittles taste the rainbow guy, which is fun. Um, he's everywhere, my dad. And, um, you know, I just, I was very lucky. I grew up on the, you know, I would sit on the floor and, and look up and watch my dad do these crazy voices. You know, I'd be like sitting in the, in the booth on the floor just studying him and, and watching him and you know it's he's a master it's it's something that kind of thing is something you're born with I do some animation but not to the extent that that he does it's it's a truly truly a gift did the animation stuff for you come from just the opportunity that it made sense or was that something that you were always interested in because of what your dad had done I was interested in it because of what my dad had done, but I didn't have, I don't have the same skill that he has. I, am very limited in, in, you know, my range, whereas he can do pretty much anything. Plus he has that great announcer voice. He was sort of like, he was the voice of anyone who's like, you know, 40 to fit 40 to 55 right now. He was the voice of your childhood. You know, uh, anytime you walked in the in the living room to set down your Swanson's frozen dinner, he was on the TV. Um, but I, I, uh, I definitely don't have I don't have it like he does. But yes, absolutely inspired. You know, I tr- I I think I get hired because of my comedy chops. You know, um, for lack of a decent phrase at all, uh, but not you know, not because like, we've got to have that voice. I think it's, I think it's, you know, because they know who I am or because, you know, they know I can deliver a a snarky line here and there. (laughs) You have great comedic timing. I love your delivery on all the stuff you do. Thank you. It's pretty crazy. I went back and I started watching a lot of those commercials and it took me on the usual YouTube rabbit hole of just clicking on stuff. The views on YouTube for those old serial commercials millions and millions it's insane it's comfort food you know no pun intended but it's comfort food to see those old i just started following on instagram like the um you know looking at at 80 toys from the 80s and toys from the 70s and and it is there's something comforting about seeing those old commercials or seeing those old toys 
do you you are you on the east coast yes okay so did you have or do you have uh carvel yeah yeah okay so do you are you old enough to remember the tom carvel ice cream uh cake commercials vaguely vaguely. oh my god tom carvel did his own commercials talk about an entrepreneur who made you know everything out of nothing um but he used to do his own tv commercials and he would say is tom carvel here get yourself a whale of a cake for a whale of a dad and they had one shape of cake that they would move around into different configurations and redecorate it as something else for different holidays so fudgy the whale became fudgy the birthday clown became fudgy the santa um yeah brilliant anyway huge somehow i'm somehow i'm on a tangent plugging tom carvel but um <laughs> he really brought his a game thank you thank you everybody <laughs> so it's it's interesting i heard your dad say a quote that when he landed the thundercats gig that's when he finally became a celebrity to his kids when when did that happen for you now that I believe you have a son who's 14, about to be 15? Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember. It's funny because I, I think back to, you know, my son could, could he, he is so unimpressed by me. Like it literally, like it's just annoying that I exist because he's 14. So, you know, anything I'm like, Hey, mommy's on that show. He's like, yeah, can you keep it down? Cause I'm, you know, we're playing, we're playing Minecraft right now. Um, when it comes to, you know, anything entertainment related, it's, it really brings you down to size because I'm like, Hey, look at this funny, look at mommy's in a crazy wig. Like, (laughs) um, he literally said uh, a few weeks ago, he's like, mom, you dropped one of your mustaches in the hallway (laughs) because I was doing some funny, you know, zoom thing. So he's, he is nonplussed by it all. But I remember that as a kid, like, you know, that's just my dad. That's just what he does. You know, he does wacky voices. Um, I wanted in, I wanted to be part of it, but it wasn't like, Oh my God, my dad's on TV. You know, it it just, it just was. Um, and, but I always worshiped him. I always worshiped his talent and, and his ability to, to make people laugh. But as far as it becoming like, Oh, he's a celebrity now. He was anyway because he was a radio DJ and, you know, I grew up going to events with him and, and just knowing how, how popular he was in that arena. Um, he was also, this is my favorite brag of all time. My father was the host of Bowling for Dollars. <laughs> so slow clap. Um, that was the coolest thing ever at the time. We couldn't go anywhere for a couple of years because people would stop him everywhere because he was hosting bowling for dollars. But wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So circling back to the state, I um, it's funny because this whole thing, Ken Marino, uh, your fellow castmate, was just on Twitter, and I started harassing him to call me because he was like, oh, I feel like calling people." So for days, <laughs> and he did, and we started talking, and then I think it was maybe two weeks tops after that. And we had talked about the state, obviously, um, but he didn't mention any of the reunion stuff. And then all of a sudden I saw the, the ad that the Zoom with the state was coming out. And, you know, now I'm seeing everybody everywhere again. But it was, it was crazy because I was obsessed with the state and I still watch it all the time. And it's still hysterical to me and my friends. Like we grew up on it. It doesn't get old to us at all. 
But seeing how many people signed on to the Zoom with this date and realizing how many hardcore fans are still out there was unbelievable to me. I can't imagine what it felt like for you guys. Yeah, we were definitely shocked. When we were first coming up with the idea of doing this and we said, okay, guys, we need to decide what size room, virtual room we want for this event. You know, literally we were like 50 people. You know, I mean, I had no clue. And someone said a thousand and we were like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So we were very shocked. We ended up raising $90,000 for charity which feels so, so good. Um, and I'd like to think that maybe some of those people, you know, joined because they were, you know, also fans besides just wanting to donate to charity. So let's hope so. But we sure had fun. And, and um, you know, we would like to do a reunion in person um, when the apocalypse is over. So that could be fun too. Yeah, the, the Zoom with the state was amazing. I, I really got a a lot out of it. I was looking forward to it. I was psyched all day for it. And you guys did a great job with it. I, I did want to ask how, how did you guys pick the sketches that made it? And was there, were you going back through some of the old sketches prior to figure out which one you wanted? And did it bring you a little bit back down memory lane? Everything we do is by voting in the state for better or for worse. Imagine 11 people having equal votes. It'll drive you insane. So um, but this time, uh, David Wayne sent out a, uh, uh, you know, a poll, you know, vote for the ones that, that you want. And, and, you know, everybody, you know, this was like a, just a fun thing. So there, there was no, really no drama about what we were going to do. If somebody said, Hey, let's do this one. And someone else said, yeah, we do, we do it, you know? So, um, it was pretty easy to decide some of the old, some of the old classics, <laughs> With the the state being what it was and you guys being so young and, and everybody's, you know, probably very alpha and, and coming up and has big personalities at that time, what was your experience working with a bunch of people your age like that in New York City in 93, 94, and not having somebody really take on that one leadership role? How did you guys work things out and communicate and really, I mean, knowing just in business when there's not somebody taking charge and taking that leader, things get nuts and things get crazy quick. How were you guys able to balance that? Things did get nuts and things did get crazy quick, but you know, in the best possible way, um, we were so full of ourselves, you know, you have to realize we were, I was 17 years old. Uh, we met at NYU as freshmen. Um, it was, I was just turned 18. It was, um, no, I was, yeah, I was 18. Um, so we were, and Tom Lennon and I met when we were 17 at theater camp at Northwestern <laughs> University. So it's like we, we were children. We were really children. And we were children who all sort of didn't have our people yet or our group. There wasn't an internet. So you were just sort of swimming in your hometown going, okay, I'm a weirdo. Uh, (laughs) I like to do crazy voices and make people laugh and nobody seems to get it. And here I am trying out for musical theater at the high school. And then all of a sudden you get to NYU and there are these people. And it was like a spaceship had landed with our people. So we became obsessed with each other, just in love with each other, spending 24 hours a day together we couldn't get enough of it and enough of each other. So we fed off that energy, you know, and it got, it got, you know, it was emotional. We, this was the end of the world. You know, we have to, this has to happen. Um, 
so it kind of was this moving, you know, ball of energy that, that, you know, we would push and pull and move this way and move that way. And, um, but it was all out of an exuberance, um, a sort of, you know, end of the movie, I found you, um, that just, that just lasted. And, and, um, you know, I, I respect every single person in that group. Um, I still worship every single person in that group. Uh, nobody, nobody makes me laugh like those guys. So when you respect each other like that, then when someone has an opinion, you listen and, and, um, I don't know, it was just, you know, a living, breathing, moving thing and exhausting at times, you know, trying to come up with, you know, people really strong willed with, with strong opinions. No, this is the, it should end with this fart joke, not this fart <laughs> joke, you know, it's life and death. Um, just are just passionate. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it, it was, it was not easy, but so exciting. And, um, I don't know, to this day, I just, I just worship everyone's, everybody's comedy in the, in the group. All the ones that I have talked to always take time to give credit to you and how much they love and appreciate you as well. So nice to see that everybody supports each other like that. And I, I love just watching things and seeing people pop up and say, that person's from the state, that person's from the state, that person's from the state. Like it all trickles back for me. But um, what is your impression of, of how you guys have been able to keep that going for so long and work together? Because, you know, one of the things that reminds me of it is I heard you saying a quote of how, I might be butchering this a little bit, but you're okay with the result of things as long as you know that you did your best. And if I am saying that right, I feel like that's part of what I try and say with this whole podcast is no matter what it is that you're doing, you have to be giving your best to it because there is no other opportunity. If you're not, people are going to notice you being reliable, being consistent, going the extra mile, being somebody they can count on and work with. And obviously you guys have that. And I think once you find those people, you want to continue to bring it because as I branched out over the years, I found it's very hard to find reliable people that have the same worth ethic and the same integrity that I have. And when you find the ones that do, you want to keep them close and you want to keep them around for a long time. So um, what's, what's been your experience with how you guys have able to, for 32 years, still work together on, you know, TV shows and these huge blockbuster movies? I mean, I think you said it in your question, which is, you know, you, you, those are the people, not just that I, that I, you know, worship every single one of their sensibility, but those are the people that I learned to, to talk in this language with. We, we created our own sense of humor together. I was only a kid. So I was just starting to develop my language as an actor, as a comedian. So we developed, we wrote this language together. God, that sounds cheesy, but it's true. I mean, I was so um, malleable at the time and so hungry for, for that energy that we sort of, you know, created what that was together. It was its own thing. And it was, you know, an 11 headed animal. Um, and I think as time goes on, you know, it's, I know I can rely on them. If we're doing something and we need to pull someone in, of course they're, you know, someone from the group is, is the first person you think of. 
Um, I know this person's going to nail it. I also know what they're best at and what maybe someone else would be good at. Um, who has that kind of history with someone knowing, knowing the ins and outs of their, of their, uh, of their, the spectrum of their, of their ability. Um, you know, I, I also just think there's, there's a, a comfort level, you know, I mean, I, I, we, we just, also love each other and and love to work together and want to to work together. I just before I was on uh with this, I you know, rolled over out of bed and saw, you know, I did a, a house party FaceTime thing with Tom Lennon and nice. and David Wayne. You know, it's just like they're they're just always there. I love that. I think that that's awesome. And uh, again I, I love watching you guys all get together and work together. Was there a for you being that, you know, looking around at some of the actors you guys have worked with and some of the projects you've been on, was there ever a point that you can really nail down that you, you looked around and just thought to yourself, I made it, I did it, or I've, I've really accomplished something with my career? Ha! I, I, <laughs> you know, it's funny, Nick, I, I don't, I still don't say that. I still don't say that. And I, I look at where I live and and like you said, my IMDB page or whatever. And the, it's like, I don't know. I think it's pretty typical from what I hear from other actors um, that you never really feel like that. Um, but I mean, again, I'm not, you know, Charlize Theron. It's not, it's not like I'm, I'm saying here I am sitting at the top of the mountain. And, but, but, you know, in the, in the comedy world, in the, in the sketch comedy world, we've done pretty well for ourselves. And, and, uh, no, I'll never be satisfied. No. Mm-mm. Again, that, Definitely that's probably not. If I like that, I, th- I think that's what keeps you ticking. That's probably what we'll yeah. do for a long well, time. Also because, because what I, what I do is I love, I love it. And so like, I know some people in, in other businesses are like, okay, can I retire now? Like, when do I get to sit back? that idea terrifies me. Like what I I do, what I do to not make money, but because it's how I breathe. Like I, I making people laugh and working with friends is that's, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. Right. And I, and when you were asking about, you know, finding these other people, working with these other people, it's, it's a life lesson that I try and instill in my son. And you know, on, on days when he feels different or, you know, not like the other kids, you know, into the same kind of stuff. I always say to him, look, listen to me. It's going to be about finding your people. When you find your people and your people are out there, when you find your people, the possibilities are endless. I am not somebody who went off, you know, foraging in the woods on my own and created anything for myself. I did it with these other people. And spiritually, monetarily, uh, creatively, uh, I needed that band around me. And you will find them. And when you find them, the possibilities are endless. Now you have a better chance of finding them with the internet as opposed to just flyers in an NYU rec room. (laughs) Excuse me. But um, you will find them. And, And when you do, grab on and, and, uh, and away, away you will go. I'm writing, um, a Dr. Seuss book now, but anyway, 
I thought that was beautifully worded. I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I thought you said it perfectly. Thank you. Um, so with the Reno 911 now, you, you brought up how technology's changed, the internet and everything. You guys are now back on the Quibi app or Quibi, Net, Quibi Network now. Um, how did that all come about? We had been, uh, Doug Herzog, uh, who is the head of, of uh, MT- we worked with Doug Herzog at, when he was at uh, MTV doing the state, right? And so we've worked with him for 30 years almost. So he kept circling, you know, back around working at Viacom, working at Comedy Central. So we've worked with Doug forever and ever. And um, Doug came to Tom and Ben and I and said, hey, I'm working on this new thing called Quibi and I think Reno could be perfect for it. Uh, The funny thing is, Doug is the one who bought the Reno pilot for Fox when we originally did it 20 years ago. It didn't get picked up. He moved over to Comedy Central. He bought it again for Comedy Central. We did that for six seasons. He left Comedy Central. Now he's at Quibi. He bought it a third time for Quibi. So we're still working with with Doug Herzog and we adore him. And we all sort of came up as kids together in this wacky world. That's a loyal dog right there. I like that. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. I heard Nick Swartz and I saw him do stand up a couple of times and he told a story about how he was approached for Reno 911 and how it all came together. And I didn't know that that show was mostly improv and ad-libbed until he said that. And I went back and I watched all of it and I had a whole new appreciation for how funny all of that was. Is, is that something that was part of your background? Do you enjoy doing things on the spot like that and having that creative freedom? When we first came up with the idea for Reno, it was really, uh, it was, we had no time to write a script. The way it all happened was very quick. We didn't do improv. We had never done improv. The state did not do improv. So the idea of improvising a pilot was terrifying, but we had thought we had nothing to lose. So we did improvise the pilot 100%. When it got picked up years later to do on Comedy Central, we were like, okay, what are we going to do? We improvised the pilot. All right, it worked once. So yes, nothing. The only things that are written on Reno are the PSAs. When you see us very uncomfortably in front of a green screen doing PSAs, those are the only things that are written. Every everything else is imp- is improvised. Um, you know, makes it easier. You don't have to work on it as long as an actor. You just show up and do your hardy har, and a lot of the work is done in editing. You know, for you know, well, that was an not as funny a line. We'll just cut that line out and move to the next line, which was funnier. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love it. It terrified us all at first. And, and now I love it because also you can surprise each other and that, that energy and comedy, when you see us surprise each other on screen, uh, is really fun to watch. And it's, and it's always fun to look back and see, uh, that you've surprised, you know, because that's really what it is, especially, you know, Tom and Ben working together for for 32 years. Nothing feels better than when I'm able to crack one of them up, you know, <laughs> after all these years, like, I got you. I just got you. You're pretending like something dropped on the floor and you have to turn around to pick it up, but it's because you're laughing. Nice. That feels good. That is cool. How do you feel about the fact that the mediums have changed so much and there's literally new networks that could pick things up and it looks like they're giving resurgence for all these shows now? Or is it giving you more 
I don't want to say hope, but, you know, maybe some of the old projects that didn't go as far as you wanted to or some things that were on the back burner that now you can bring fresh life to. Is it, is it an exciting time to be a creative person with all these new outlets and mediums? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, hey, you know, the more, the more work that's out there, the better. And, and absolutely, you know, getting, getting the band back together, so to speak, on all these projects is... Um, is so fun. I mean, I always say, you know, with the state guys, you know, we've got to do it in a real way while we're all still alive. It's kind of a miracle. If you think about it statistically, not that we're that old, but you know, at 50, it's like, you know, there's 11 of us and you know, we're doing pretty good that we're all still flopping around here. So, uh, I think it's fantastic. You know, also I'm glad that there are so many more networks and platforms and services because while we're sitting here in our homes, there's more to watch. <laughs> Definitely. And I think you look outstanding for 50. You are aging beautifully. So congratulations. On Thank that. you, young man. Thank you. So I like to do uh, what we call the victory lap as we close up again. I, I really appreciate you giving me your time today. I don't want to take up your whole day. So um, I'll knock out a few, few final questions. First one being, do you still play music? Because I don't know if everybody knows that you were in a band called Cake Like that I was doing, uh, get a rabbit hole on it. It was a uh, very sonic youthy kind of stuff to me. It was pretty cool, but I, I didn't realize until recently that you did that. We did. It feels like a lifetime ago. Somehow at the same time we were doing the state and Viva Variety, I had a band kind of like a riot girl band in that time and in, in uh, New York in the, in the nineties. And uh, we did quite well for that kind of genre at the time we signed with neil young uh he had a label called vapor records off of warner brothers and he came and signed us we did a single with rico cassick we toured around with did some shows with neil and um all over the country europe uh yeah three albums we did a um our first album got three and a half stars in Rolling Stone and the center pages and spin. It was kind of nuts. <laughs> so you can still find, you can still find it on YouTube and stuff and you can still find the album some places, but um, that happened. But no, I don't really play music anymore. The other two women are in New York and I moved out to LA. And so I don't know, we just kind of moved on with our different careers and, you know, we're still super close. It just is like, Oh no, I don't really play much anymore but I love it and I would love to so maybe that's something you know something to do <laughs> I mean the fact that you were successful as a musician which is something that some people try their whole lives and never get and then you've been successful in entertainment and comedy which is uh, the fact that you were successful you're like the Bo Jackson of entertainment you know you're playing baseball you're playing football so I think that says a lot about you that doesn't happen by accident in two different huge professions like that well, funny you bring it up, Nick, because that's the next thing I'm going to work on and be successful at, which is football. <laughs> so um, I think I'm going to be a tight end. So I'm working on that. Lots of lunches. The and then UFC. Yeah, don't rush me. I'm going to do that the decade after my football career. Fair enough. Yeah, well, actually, you reminded me when Matt did the, the stand-up thing, Nick Swartzen went down and helped him with that. So full, full Nick is a big UFC guy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, my next question. What is your favorite sketch from the state? Holy cow. Um, to be in or to, to just the overall? Just overall. 
Okay. Overall, probably a taco, the taco <laughs> mailman. But to be in, um, definitely Cutlery Barn. That's awesome. I love them. Go back and watch the, the old episodes? I don't really. I, try, I tried to show them to my son a, a few years ago. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to watch Key and Peel Mom back off. Um, <laughs> I think they're but, timeless. Um, and, he's, and he's the age I probably was right around there. I was like 13, 14. And I just, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I, I still do when I rewatch it. It holds up. Some things you watch and you're like, eh, yeah, you remember anymore. The state is just as funny today as it, probably more because they understand a lot of the jokes more now than I, but I, I love them and I still do. Um, oh, you're very question, kind. Thank what, you. What's the worst job you've ever had? Uh, oh God, there've been so many. <laughs> okay. So I would say I had to, I worked at this place in Connecticut when I was probably way too young to be working. And on my first day, they asked me to carry a tray of chickens, raw chickens from, for some reason, like the kitchen was on one floor and the, the, I don't know, something else was on another. We were, so I was carrying a tray of raw chickens and they s- s- were very slippery and they slid off the tray. And then I watched them kind of like luge down the stairs. And um, that was just uh, the end of that career. <laughs> so my chicken carrying career that I was so looking forward to ended that day, Nick. Fair enough. It was not meant to be. You found, but but that's not there. the worst. That's not the worst job I've ever like. You know, I I did other gross, weird, you know, stuff in food service and different things. But that was the the most emotional, <laughs> most emotional day I'd say. Fair enough. If you had a time machine and you had to go back, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give you? Wow. Oh, God. I think I would say, um, I think I would say, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, You're going to go into comedy and it's going to be okay, but cut out, cut out the dramatic bull, bull. You're going to be okay. And, and it's just, it's just comedy. Wise words. I appreciate it. Um, lastly, the, the charity that you mentioned, I was looking up some stuff on it. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it so people can find it. So it's called Hope in a Suitcase. And um, it helps children in foster care sort of adjust by just a, a, a small gesture, which is a suitcase for them to take with them, which sounds, you know, like what's the big deal. But the truth is most kids going into the foster care system, they're not planning for this. This happens in the blink of an eye. There's been an accident. There's, there's been a, a, some sort of tragedy. There's, there's turmoil in the home, whatever it is, they come and get them. You've got to go now. So most of these kids are leaving their homes. They're, parents, their families, whatever the circumstances at that time with a trash bag and maybe a couple of things, maybe. 
And then they're going from place to place to place. It's it's almost never happens that they go somewhere and land in some, you know, wonderful, loving home. And that's the end of the story. Um, so for kids, I know for my son, the comfort of like just some of his stuffed animals and things that he's carried through his life, you know, it's, it's, um, it's heartbreaking to think that these kids, you know, have absolutely no comfort. Uh, so what hope in a suitcase does is you, uh, each kid is given a, a brand new suitcase with, uh, some, you know, a change, a couple changes of clothing, a first day of school outfit, pajamas, socks, you know, a few pairs of socks, underwear, some notebooks, a book to read, you know, some, maybe a, a stuffed animal or, or something and a pillowcase. And we've decorated pillowcases that have, you know, like cute pictures or inspirational messages. Each time we do a birthday party or, or my son's bat mitzvah or whatever, bar mitzvah, we do, um, you know, the kids all get together and decorate pillowcases to add, to, to send off. Um, so that the kid, you know, if they're going from house to house, at least they have a, a pillowcase to take too. So I've done a little work with these guys. They're incredible. And, um, I think it's a really beautiful cause. I agree. I think it's Every, outstanding. We all need a little, a little comfort. Yeah. I mean, between what you guys now. raise for the state and what this is doing, I, I think you guys are you know, you're giving people comedy and humor and laughs in a time that everybody needs it. And you're giving back by having donate to all kinds of charities. And I just think what you guys are doing is awesome. You all seem like very great people. And I, I very much appreciate you giving me your time today. I will put the links for the charity and for everything in the show notes and promote it as well. Um, and then finally, just what do you have going on with you? What's coming up next for Carrie Kenny Silver? And how can people find you? Um, well, I'll be in my living room. Uh, and then I'm going <laughs> to probably go to the kitchen. And then I heard that there was uh, an empty uh, plate that once had a bagel on it in the bathroom of all places. So I'm going to swoop in there and probably grab that around four o'clock. Um, no, I don't know, Nick, this is such a crazy time. Um, but, uh, Oh, uh, there will be more episodes of, uh, the second half of the, of the, uh, season of Reno that we did for Quibi. The second half of season seven will be airing later this summer. So that's fun. Keep your quibby, get your quibby. Um, I can honestly say uh, we, Tom and Ben and I all agree. This is by far the best season we have ever done. We feel like we're at the top of our game right now. So um, more, more brand new Reno episodes coming uh, next month, I believe to quibby. And um, I don't know, going to do a pilot when this all opens back up. I've got a, a pilot I'm going to be working on for Fox and I don't know. We'll see. That's exciting. That's awesome. Here we know that one's going to be coming back even stronger. It's a great show. I do have Kip Quibi. I will be keeping Quibi. Um, social Fantastic. media, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Are, are you, where, where are you on those? Yes. Carrie Kenny Silver for uh, Instagram. Um, and at Carrie Kenny for, uh, for Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Again, I've been a big fan for a long time. You have been more than generous with your time. I really appreciate that you agreed to do this. You were so great about communicating with me and, and jumping all over this. And I really appreciate it. Again, I'll be pushing out that charity and I can't thank you enough. And any closing thoughts before I let you go? No, but you're just a doll. And I love that you do your homework and that you don't ask me questions like so karen kennedy what was it like <laughs> to work on reno 911 um 
I appreciate it. You're a doll. Thanks. Now, I, I truly am a fan, so I try and only ask you about stuff that I, I actually watch and enjoy and know about. So thank you for being a good sport. I hope you and your family have a great week, great month, great summer, and everybody stays happy and healthy and safe. And again, thank you so much for giving me your time. You too, Nick. And I can honestly say that today you brought your A game. Thank you. Carrie Katie Silver, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you, honey. Nice to meet you. You too. Bye. Bye. So that was Carrie Kenny Silver from MTV's The State, Reno 911. And uh, I'm obviously watching Miracle Workers, like I mentioned, on TBS with Steve Buscemi. I think it's a very unique show. Um, she's been in tons of different things. If you start to look up her name and, and see her voice, you will see she's all over. Obviously, most known for Reno 911 in the state. But what a nice lady. Um, again, father's very successful guy. Her husband, cinematographer for uh, some of the biggest shows out there, Two and a Half Men, uh, Dharma and Greg. He was on uh, The Big Bang Theory, just a bunch of different things. So uh, she surrounds herself with really good people. It was really nice talking to her. They're doing a lot for charity. They're doing a lot to give back. She was very approachable. She was very open to doing the, uh, the interview. So I just really appreciate her. Everybody from that show has been great. And she seemed like an absolutely great person and a totally sweet woman, just as normal as they come, which I love. Hardworking and just told it like it is. So I really appreciated her giving us that time. This episode was a big deal to me, interviewing all these people that I'm truly fans of not just trying to get somebody on just to talk to them for the sake of talking to them. I've watched her work. I, I followed her for a long time. I was excited to talk to her. I just watched Role Models. If you haven't seen it, such a great movie. Totally funny. Lots of big names in there. Wanderlust. And it's just a classic. So check her out. Check out her uh, sponsor, her, her foundation as well that she was supporting for her charity. It's all in the show notes for the show as well as her contact info. Um, please follow her on social media. Please donate to the charity if you can with the link. On the show notes on any of the podcasts, you can go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links, www.nicknicknick.com slash links to get the links to this on any of the platforms, on YouTube, all the social contact, and on those, the show notes will be on there for you to donate, follow any of the guests. And then there's also the two links now to go through us and get the priority for the best rates and the best terms in any of the lending you need for hard money, for private um private money, whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, one of the best hard money lenders out there is Nationwide Business Capital Group. Nationwide Business Capital Group and Marianne will take good care of you when you click on the link, www.nicknicknick.com slash links. And they will be able to take good care of you. Let them know that Nick and the A-Game podcast sent you over. Whether you have bad credit, good credit, experience, no experience, money, whatever the situation is, um, fix and flip loans, any type of refinance programs, commercial loans, credit lines, they are able to do a lot of really creative things. So please check out Nationwide Business Capital Group. They are a sponsor of this podcast. And please go through our link so they know to make you a priority as I have done a lot of business with her and referred her a lot of business as well. And she always brings her A-game and always takes care of them. So contact Marianne for any of your real estate lending needs and funding problems, as well as Naked Warrior CBD. You have the tinctures, you have the drops. They now have energy drinks. Uh, the gummies are absolutely delicious. They've helped me with inflammation. They've helped me with mental clarity, anxiety. They've helped me get sleep. They've helped with my appetite. They hugely just on taking them on a daily basis have helped me big time with the inflammation that I felt with all my joints and everything from just beating up my body over the years. Uh, CBD is really just a miracle drug. You have to take it consistently. So give it 30 days. You'll start to realize that all the things and those little aches and pains and cracks that you used to hear and feel, you're just not anymore. They just mysteriously go away. You forget all about them. So, um, but it takes consistency. So give it a try, but stick with it for a few months and you're going to start to see that you feel a lot better. You sleep a lot better. 
You're able to do a lot more with your day. Your energy levels change. It has helped me out huge. So check out on the links again, Naked Warrior CBD. Promo code AGAME will get you a discount on the nicknicknick.com slash links. And check that out as well as check out my brother, Dan LaMagna, danlamagna.com slash lessons for a free online drum lesson with one of the Tri-State area's top and most sought after drummers who has played with tons of bands, as I mentioned. So get your loans, get your CBD, get your drum lessons, and go on nicknicknick.com if you'd like to talk about us selling you any great investment properties or you would be interested in potentially partnering or having us buy some great properties from you. Always looking to buy. We always have properties we can sell to investors with a great rate of return. Contact me today. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.